Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast I'm interviewing Richard Baird who's best known for Logo Archive and the branding and packaging website BP&O. But before we jump into the interview, I want to once again give a shout out to Michael at Logo Package Express, which is an absolute must-have product for anyone out there working on logo designs. Just over a year back, once a logo was complete, I then worked to prepare a comprehensive kit of files for both web and print. So I'd include a full color version, inverted version, a black version, a white version, uh, different lockups. So it's basically all the variation and, and files that the uh, business could potentially need to, to make sure that their logo looks its best in, in all situations. So that exercise creating those used to take me at least an hour, but now here today, it takes only a couple of minutes. And that's thanks to Logo Package Express, which is a, an extension for Adobe Illustrator. And, um, you know, it's, it saves me at least an hour on every single project. So it's, if, if you're working on a lot of logo design work, this is an absolute must-have product for you. So I highly recommend checking it out. And you can find it by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash extension. And if you use the promo code logogeek, you can get 20% off. For transparency, that is an affiliate link. So if you purchase the product via that link, you will be helping to support the Logo Geek podcast at no extra cost to you. So again, if you want to go and check it out and support the Logo Geek podcast in the process, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension using the promo code logogeek to get 20% off. So as mentioned this week, I'm excited to be interviewing Richard Baird. Richard is a freelance logo and brand identity designer. However, I've come to know him through a number of his uh, self-initiated projects uh, that he's worked on over the years, including Logo Archive, which is a fantastic Instagram feed that documents mid-century logos, and, and that's now become um, a series of zines, magazines, as well as his website that studies uh, packaging, which is BPNO. So in this interview, we chat about Richard's early beginnings as a designer, the reason why he puts so much time and energy into writing and critiquing. And also we have a fairly in-depth discussion about Logo Archive too. So let's jump straight into this. Here is the interview with Richard Baird. I understand you studied furniture design for four years and then started your career freelancing as a designer for a small furniture business where you had opportunities to work on furniture, brand identity and packaging. Could you tell us a little bit more about that early part of your career and why you eventually uh, made your mind up to focus on visual identity? Absolutely. Um I left university in 2005 and I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, that I hadn't secured a job. So you get that kind of moment where you're kind of sort of scrabbling around for any kind of opportunity. And luckily a former or a graduate uh, who graduated at the same time as me 
um, Milo, he'd moved away. But while he was at uni, he'd worked on a live brief um, with the furniture company in the city, which I hadn't. And he'd impressed them. And they'd asked him to work on a project for them after university. As he'd moved away, uh, as had many, in fact, everyone except for me, I decided to stay in Nottingham because I didn't really want to go back up north. He'd passed on my details. Milo was a significantly better designer than I was. Um, And so it was very lucky that he just sort of thought of me, he knew I'd stayed there and had passed my details on him. This company had got in touch, and what they really wanted was some headboard designs or and some uh, visualizations. I sort of had some experience working with 3D Studio Max, and it was a very, very simple project. And at the end of it, I'd been given this check for £300, and I had no idea what to do with it in terms of tax. Um, and I rang my dad up, who... who has always been a very good um, person to go to in in terms of business, being a freelancer himself and having had a business in the past. And he said, well, what you need to do is just register as self-employed and then you can pay tax on the check. And then following that, another opportunity had come up with another graduate who I'd studied with and she was working in Richmond with a product design company and they needed help with uh, visualizing a series of home phones and um, I had had a lot of experience with Photoshop um, from university but none with Illustrator and I said well I can use Photoshop but she was like but they really need Illustrator and I thought absolutely I can do it so I had to learn that in I think it was a weekend and I got myself down to a B&B in Richmond and I started on the Monday and I did two weeks of of rendering out phones on Illustrator. And this is how I learned Illustrator. It was pure necessity that I had no income. And it was quite a good uh, fee. Um, and that's, that's, as I say, how I learned Illustrator. I went back, um, banked the check. That got me through another month. And luckily, the furniture company had asked me back to do a few more bits and pieces. And this was really the sort of the dog end of furniture design. There wasn't very much in in terms of sort of creativity. These weren't your habitat kind of pieces of furniture, which I'd always wanted to design. But I just sort of dug in and did it. And I was working on site. And what, what had happened was that you become this dog's body as well. It was that kind of place where they had their furniture company on the top level of a storage facility and they were taking deliveries from um china and i don't mind getting stuck in but some of my days were literally just unloading furniture from the back of these uh from the back of a container and then i would get to sort of design a bit more furniture and uh i'm trying to think he was also the the owner very entrepreneurial he would import different products he was south african and he had a series of memory foam mattresses that he would rebrand as his um company's product and that's where i sort of moved over into graphic design um that's the sort of furniture to graphic design transitions sort of memory foam mattresses boxes 
Um, and I was just doing all of this in, in Photoshop, huge. These were like two meter wide package packages. Um, you can imagine sort of the photography files on that were huge. And then I got to do things like, um, you know, those sort of heat self-heating cans of coffee. Oh, that would be a nightmare now, right? Environmentally. And he had an investment in um, an electric company in South Africa called Netelec. And I got to do the logos for those kind of things. So it was very, very bitty. But I never thought that it was rubbish. I was very grateful to be designing something at that time. Um, and that's how I built built a graphic design portfolio from nothing. And I just shot that around to a few local design studios. One of them took a punt on me and it was really, I think it was because uh, my rates were so low and living in Nottingham, I was paying 200 pounds a month at the time, all in. So there wasn't a financial pressure that I could sort of slowly get the on-site knowledge that I needed and to build a portfolio and start working directly with clients that I had a proven track record. Um, I started working directly with um, a cosmeceutical company. And again, these people were taking risks on me. I, I didn't have anything to show them that was related to what, what they needed, but I was so passionate. I was saying, well, I can learn. I'm very observant. And I was just researching you know, the legislation around sort of ingredient lists and uh, application and formulation, all these kind of things. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the early days. Mm, I, I really love the honest and relatable introduction of your career. Um, I know myself um, that when you first start out, you're really reliant on someone giving you an opportunity. Um, I was lucky enough to have that myself uh, when I first started at a a medical company when I was when I was about eighteen. Um, I first started in a warehouse in that business, but um, I seen work my way up. And and due to me mentioning in my original interview that I wanted to work in graphic design eventually, they actually gave me a three month um, position in in the office team, which was an, an amazing opportunity uh, because a small part of that was uh, graphic design related. Um, you know, people would come to me to to ask me to work on things and um I, I didn't have much experience in those early days but you know if people didn't come to me and ask me for the work and put some faith in me I I know that it would be very unlikely if I was where I am now so um it's why I think that small businesses are great for new graphic designers um, because in these companies once they recognize that you have some kind of skill um, they're going to make use of it because it has value to them. And it, it sounds like that was very much the case for you. Uh, they, they brought you in uh, for this for this one job at the beginning. And mm. as he was very entrepreneurial, you had pretty much any opportunity. Um, you had all of the opportunities to work on those businesses because you was the first point of contact. And because they came to you, that's what gave you what, what was needed to take things further on your own. Mm, yeah, it was. So I understand here today you, you don't just focus on uh, graphic design. You, you actually write a lot too. Um, I read it was something like 50-50. So what is it about writing um, and critiquing work that's driven you to put so much focus into it? The As with many, many things that I do, it usually just happens 
there's something inside me that says I wake up and I say I'm going to do this it it never really is this sort of pre-planned thing it's the blog and the zine both of them it was a on the day kind of thing I said to my girlfriend at the time when you come back from your day out with the girls I'm gonna have a blog I'm gonna I'm gonna build it I'm gonna post the first thing because it just I remember I was reading David Airy's logo design love and brand new and I'd spent so much time commenting on these blogs with a sort of half wanting to get involved half looking for sort of visibility as as uh, as a way to sort of get move forward that it that I thought well you put putting so much time into writing these comments on other people's sites and which help them why don't you just take ownership of of what you're doing and see how that goes and I make no sort of bones about it that it is inspired by brand new but I knew that my writing style was going to be different as soon as I started writing that first post that Armin has such a conviviality about him and I've met him and I it's actually really, really humble. It almost feels like there's a dissonance between that sort of online personality and him in person. And I thought that I could offer something that was more formal in tone, that I could, um, I'm not naturally funny. So I just wrote as I thought about it. Um, I never had the intention to keep it going for so long. I just thought it would raise my profile but as it continued I started to sort of see it as something of a a way of expressing a particular point of view how I saw the world or um, how I saw the graphic design industry so in the collation of other people's work in writing about projects individually but bringing these together under one blog that I was able to share with people what I thought good design was. And furthermore, that over an extended period of time, you could see how that had changed, that you could jump back to the earlier post and see, well, um, his writing style is a bit different. He's got better there. Um, He's writing very localized opinions about the visual aspects of things. And now he's talking a bit more about ideas and strategy. Um, And I really like the review as a way to share something of your own ideas. And that's kind of what I look for now is projects in which I can, not exclusively, but use to say something a little bit bigger about the industry. Um, So that's kind of where I come from in terms of writing. Um, It's got a lot harder over time. As I feel like I understand uh, brand identity more, um, it's harder to find projects that I feel like they're founded on something really distinct. And what I mean by that is not that the project is unique, that it is actually intelligent in the way that it uses um, the visual cues of a particular group of people that are familiar, but also gives it that sort of 10% twist in which something new comes from it. And that's the thing that really drove me forward from the very beginning is 
this sort of moment where I would see something and think, oh, wow, that's cool. I really want to share that with people. And that's the thing that keeps me writing is that desire to share that moment of, uh, wow, you know, I'd love to do that. I think that's a really great way to approach this. Uh, you're, you're not only sharing good work that will inspire others, but I think by writing in the way that you are, you're also able to properly study the work and uh, learn from it and, and hopefully put some element of, of the best work into your own work too. And as a side note, what you said about arming, being very humble, now that I've actually spoken to you for a while for this podcast, I, I would say that the very same thing about you too, because you created quite a body of work and, and writing across multiple websites now. You should be really proud of what you've done because from, from an outsider's point of view, you've done such an incredible amount of work. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. I, like many designers, uh, sort of feel um, inadequate that we're not doing enough. I'm not spending enough time working. When I'm not working, I feel guilty about not working. When I sleep in, I feel lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this sort of constant internal battle. Um, and it's because you, what you see around you is this sort of collectivized industry where when you see people tweeting um, the hours that they're working or the projects that they're working on, these are single people with single projects, but when you see it collectively streamed on Twitter, it seems like everybody is perpetually busy, but they're not. And I'm just trying to be a little more comfortable in myself with what, I, what I'm doing and the opportunities that I have. But there's always that what's next. Um, I did BPO logo archive they've seen a little bit of success. So now I'm like, well, what, what's the third thing? You don't want to be a two trick pony. You know, what's the third thing you're going to do? And I don't know. And that's very, very scary. And I don't want to just sort of keep on leaning back onto these two projects. There's more to do. Mm. It's interesting that you, you talk about that, like internal battle of, I uh, wanted to do more because I know I, I face that challenge as well. I, I, I work a lot, probably more than I should. And um, I, I understand the feeling because um, you, like me and probably most designers listening, they follow all these designers on Instagram. They're in all the Facebook groups online. Um, you know, just ba- basically any network that's there for graphic designers. A lot, a lot of people mm-hmm. listening to this will probably be in that same boat, and and they will be facing that internal battle of trying to work out um, what's next. And uh, mm-hmm. you have uh, quite a few projects on the go, and they've been successful. So Logo Archive. Uh, um, I'm going to butcher this. Is it BPNO? BP. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. BPNO. I think they and their own right are huge projects, especially for um, someone that works for themselves. And they mm. both have the capability of continually growing. And, you know, there's there's obviously more that you can do for each of those projects. So thinking about it now, personally, as an outsider, I, I, I don't feel like you need, necessarily need to rush into the next thing. I, I, I think you should 
wait until the time is right and until you know you come across something and think ah oh, that's that's what the next thing is um because i i don't know how long you've been doing local archive but i feel like i've been following it since you started it and uh the instagram account has grown and i think it's really cool that you then turn that into those little magazines booklets so i think actually it's probably a good opportunity to ask you about that so with with logo archive for listeners that aren't familiar with what you've done with that would you be able to tell us give us some background as to around that project sure um i can't remember when i started it as with many of the things i'm just not very good with remembering dates um it's been a while and what i was doing was i'd been scanning in pages of books uh from historical books and they simply just didn't have the space for them i've always had very small apartments so what i was doing was scanning pages in for my own reference and of course the logo book is this sort of ubiquitous thing that gets reimagined over and over again and i was thinking is there a, a another way of delivering this kind of um uh content that would be useful to designers could i take what i'd scanned in and, and give give access to this sort of huge archive to a lot of people and drip feed that into sort of their daily um routine and this is what i've done with bpno is that by doing something every day by seeing something new by writing about it every day that i eventually assimilated it um and i sort of assimilated some of the techniques that i'd seen um in these sort of mid-century logos and felt that by using instagram stream that i could sort of drip feed that kind of, of information to people i think it's kind of a bit um optimistic because the way we interact with instagram is quite mechanical people aren't sort of breaking down these mid-century um symbols they're just sort of flying past them and that's kind of where the 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 zine comes into play um you have projects like logo modernism and i remember logo modernism coming out and i think it was just after i started logo archive as an instagram project i thought well that's it this is the definitive book it is the mid-century symbol book to end all mid-century symbol books. Um, but I carried on going nonetheless because I felt that Instagram was an interesting way of doing it. Um, but what logo modern, modernism is, is the ultimate utility, that it's something that you go to for reference when you need to. But what it does is in its vast collation of symbols, almost creates a different relationship between the reader and the symbol that by making something lighter by selecting just 10 uh, 25 symbols that i felt like the relationship was more along the lines of look at the craftsmanship of this or the technique or look how many different ways the eye has been rendered or an animal has been rendered that just by changing the format 
And it honors the Instagram format in its sequential nature, in its relationship with time that by dropping another issue is kind of like another Instagram post. Um, and it, it also subverts the ubiquitous logo book in that it sort of inverts the color palette. But it does more than that. It emphasizes the new material manifestation of the Instagram project. So Fedragoni, for instance, offers a very, very black paper, which would take it more closer, the zine closer to Instagram. But really, rather than replicating what Instagram is, I chose uh, Color Plan Ebony, which has a sort of lighter uh, uh, and a texture to it. And then you sort of build up layers of white ink and black staples. There's a very material quality to it. So there's a relationship with the Instagram account, but it's a very material thing. Mm, I've I've been quite a big fan of the Lego uh, archive Instagram feed for for some time now. You know, the the simplicity of uh, white logos on black works really well for Instagram. And Mm. it's a nice way to appreciate each uh, logo and then when you released the uh, first book I was quite surprised as I I'd never seen anything like it you expected a book right well I I, I mean I, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect but I, I was surprised to see an Instagram feed become a, a magazine um, such short books you know so so what are they like 12 pages but the the quality of the paper and, and the way um, it's been printed. It allows you to really appreciate each of those logos in a different way to to what you would on on Instagram. Um, and uh, I mean, like like you said, there, there's so many logo books out there. Um, but I think the the combination of what you've done with the Instagram feed and these uh, quite short collectible uh, zines is a really int- a really original way to do it. Thank you. I think for me, it, it's the people expected a book and I would get an email saying, you know, uh, can you turn Logo Archive into a book? And I would say, well, just by Logo Modernism, it, it, it's, it's sort of the thing uh, that will cover exactly what you need. And I went to an exhibition on niche independent publishing at Somerset House. And when I was looking through these things, there was such a strong, um, like, almost like singular voice that came through in the design of these and that I was so enthusiastic by like how you can create such a light booklet but give it such a strong material and graphic gesture that although it was light you held it and you felt like it had value that the value related quite well or the craftsmanship the making of it related quite well to the symbols that it held it's just not enough for me to take Logo Archive and turn it into a series of booklets. That would be very easy, and I could do that monthly. What I'm quite interested in is how you move ideas. And what I set about doing was thinking, can I take the essence of BP, you know, that writing component, and evolve it into something new and then slip it inside the zines and this started to happen with issue two where i placed an insert into it with a an anthropological text about the eye which sort of 
related back to to the theme of the the issue. These are texts that wouldn't be published by your usual sort of graphic design press. That they were a later on sort of issue fours Freigeist zine within a zine was abstract and partial thoughts rather than complete proposals. And really what Logo Archive is now is is an experiment in moving these ideas, whether I can seduce people using bright colours, papers, um, the sort of universal love for a mid-century symbol. And then when they get it, they read something that is unusual um, and different and exciting and uh, that would change between each issue. Um, the the zine began the sort of the very first one didn't have a logo on the front. I was sort of very minimal at that time, and I think it was about five minutes before I sent it off to print. I thought, no, this is not going to move online, which is a critical thing for products now. Is are people going to take photographs of it? Are they going to repost it, reshare it? So I dropped in the massive cat logo by, I think it was Raymond Bellamar. And there was a kind of humor to that because, of course, the the graphic designer, uh, the, the client everyone knows, the client says, made the logo bigger. And we're all like, no, 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 made the logo smaller. And I thought there was a kind of slight subversion to that and humor in just making what is a beautiful symbol massive. And when I published it and people started taking pictures of it, I, I realized that there's an essential relationship between print and digital, that you need Instagram. You need that organic movement of ideas um, that I, I do occasionally have that tension where I have a concept, but if I was to f- execute that in the way I would like to do it, that it wouldn't get photographed. And I think that was the thing with Frygeist is that I really wanted it to be a glossy white stock, that it felt like it had something of a sort of 70s magazine quality. But then it just didn't feel like people were going to take a picture of it. And so I just did a series of three colors, and it just seemed to work much better where one was seductive and the other one folded into the theme of architecture and the the other one the pink one i did 50 was just a flight of fancy just a momentary oh why not but the zine needs that that's how it moves it has to be materially seductive it has to be visually seductive and then there's a sort of additional component where i have 143,000 followers on instagram but i only sell 600 copies that there are people that are not buying it, but they're taking images of the object and posting it on their Instagram accounts and acquiring sort of likes for the thing that they haven't bought or what you might call social capital, uh, where it raises their own visibility just by sort of taking ownership of the photo of the zine that they didn't buy. I think that's sort of a really fascinating dynamic online where the image of the object almost has more value to some people than the actual object I designed. Yeah, that, that's uh, it's ironic, really, that you created something that was on Instagram. You created a book and then that yep. book is back on Instagram. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, 
it's a it's a digital account based on books, which is yeah. now a book or a zine, which gets photographed and moves online. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. Oh. yeah. I'd love to ask you a few more questions about Logo Archive. Sure. Uh, so you mentioned that the primary reason for starting was because you didn't have uh, space for all these books. Yeah. So you started to scan them in. So that sort of answers this question already. But aside from uh, that, are there any other places where you're sourcing the logos? And also, mm. how are you going about restoring those logos? Like, Are you physically recreating each of them in Illustrator or are you simply just scanning them and uh, slightly modifying them in Photoshop mm. so that they're ready to post on Instagram? So my priority is... I'm ultimately engaging in a kind of a form of destruction. I'm decontextualizing the symbols from their original source. Um, for instance, if it's a, a standards manual for, for a brand, um, it might have a coffee stain on a page, and that page tells you something about its use, that this was once a document of utility, and now um, we have ultimately aestheticized it and elevated beyond whatever it was. So that's one thing. When I scan a, a logo in, I'm, I'm decontextualizing it. I'm cleaning it up. And what I try to do on the Instagram account is really just do a high-res scan, ink bleeds, keep ink, ink bleeds intact, and just reduce it down so you lose some of the irregularities uh, around sort of the edges. That's, that's my priority. Um, when it comes to the zine, I lean more towards vectorizing stuff. It's never authentic. Um, whenever something moves from one thing to another, you lose information. But what you need to do when you're doing things like this is cross-referencing, understanding the designer's intention, um, making sure that ink bleed and designer intention are clearly delineated and that it helps by having multiple reference points um a book that it has sort of glossy pages versus a, a, an uncoated stock you get a sense of what's going on um but i'm super super careful with this um that i've seen other archives and they've live traced it and that's the sort of choice that they make um and i suppose when I'm doing this, I'm, I'm asking myself, I'm being very sort of self-critical, is, is what I'm doing destructive? Um, am I removing vital information? Am I asceticizing something that had purpose? And I always come back to, as long as you're adding something, that could be um, the format that you're presenting it in, um, in the grouping of the logos, in adding something of your own voice or your own sort of um, ideas, I think it's okay to do that. That It's essentially a, a form of creation as long as you're adding something. So I do recognize the problems that might be associated with this, but I feel like people understand what I'm trying to do, that it's never really just scan this in, live trace it, and send it out as content for my own sort of 
visibility. I believe that I'm using these symbols to reach new people and I'm adding my own sort of set of ideas. Um, yeah, I, I think the way you've done this doesn't come across that it's for self-gain. Um, I, I think the approach um, of what you've done and the the additional writing means that a, a new audience can can appreciate the um, uh, logos and you adding to that with the, the addition of uh, written inserts as you mentioned, is you know makes it inspiring and educational too. So I think what you're doing is is great. Uh, so I I also wanted to ask now that you've invested quite a lot of time into scanning and restoring each logo individually, have there been any characteristics that run through each of these logos to have made them uh, successful? I suppose the question is what you mean by uh, successful. Um... They've merely been documented in books. A lot of them don't exist anymore. Yeah. Those books have commercial imperatives. Um, these books were sold. Uh, designers sought visibility. Um, they wanted to contribute to sort of the global discourse, and that's how it was done at the time. So it's hard to really know whether the logos were successful. Yeah, I mean, for, for clarification, what I mean by... Um, successful the the logos that were um, created um, you know 60s 70s and 80s um, they have some aesthetic to them that make them feel timeless that you could take any of them and literally plop them in the place of a modern day logo and they would still potentially be um, relevant here today so whilst I, I appreciate that they uh, might not have necessarily have been successful for the, the the business that used them but more in in the way that they feel still relevant here today and I, I feel that's an important trait of mm. uh, any logo design I think um, it's very difficult because I have the things that I sort of um, understand um, in terms of this question, but you have your own sort of um, sort of expectations in this question. So I'll probably I'll try and get round to covering sort of what you want. That today, because brand identity or, or, or brand experience is so multifaceted. Um, that it's now augmented reality, it's 3D printed materials, it's smell, it's um, sound, that the logo doesn't need to do so much work. Um, it merely is a vessel in which to receive or to hold or to call to mind those experiences. There's, logos have got a lot simpler. Um Sometimes I, I wonder whether you can even trademark some of them. It, it, it's simply not the case that brand is when a, a studio sort of puts it in front of a client, it, it's well, there's sort of buying is sort of tone of voice and all these kind of different things. Mm. But I still believe that owning a symbol has a purpose and is very good at aiding recollection of, of those experiences. So, we come back to 
what is a good logo? What is a successful logo? Well, for me, it's one that is distinctive from your competitors. And um, is memorable that when someone sees it, their mind is sort of drawn down a, a rabbit hole of associations and uh, positive experiences. So, how do you get to an original symbol? Well, it's kind of what I explore in, in issue five is that there are a series of sort of techniques that mid century designers use that seem to have gone by the wayside. Um, there are examples where the same technique has been used in the same way, but they exist in different industries. Or there is a hundred different ways of rendering an eye, or there's different sort of techniques like the, the proximity of forms to create depth or light and shadow. So it just seems to me that even though brand experiences have become very rich, we still need that kind of central point that we can use in the tiniest of contexts, which is distinctive and memorable. I think the mid-century, because of their technical limitations, because they didn't have all of these different experiences to build brand, they, they were using type, color, and the form language of a symbol, that they really had to work hard to build something distinctive in terms of form. Uh, it's incredible some of these mid-century symbols have been drawn by hand. And I think it would be nice or useful for designers to study these techniques and see whether, well, I know we have this very rich brand universe, but let's also pay a bit more attention to creating a symbol that can also stand on its own. And I still, and designers say, well, it's all been done before. It has. But all of that that has come before, not all of it still exists. And I guess that comes back to the Airbnb question is, can you repurpose forms, um, particularly when the brand world is made up of lots of different things that it doesn't necessarily hinge on the logo? Um, but I think there's enough in the way of technique that you can still build something that is distinctive and memorable in a specific industry. Mm. When you when you say about following a uh, technique from that time, mm. are you able to share a little bit of what you mean by that? So, um, I don't have the latest issue to hand, but things like um, tessellation, um, the implication of movement, rotation, the proximity of forms to create layers, um, the transition between one shape to another to invoke transformation or movement um what else it's things like impossible forms so um they really catch your eye because they're familiar they're structural but also they subvert the physical world um you know like escher there's just something compelling about a form that looks like it should work but it doesn't work um things that have almost allude to structure and sculptural forms um, that subvert the flat surface of the page. They look like they're coming out at you via perspective or the implication of extrusions. Um, of course, uh, there's 
this sort of designers really hook onto negative space and that's great you know that that is a very useful what you call like an economy of line you're using less shapes to imply further meaning and the extension of that one will be illusory contours where there isn't an edge but your mind completes the edge. So all of these things feel like this massive toolbox in which to dip into and use and combine in a different kind of ways. And then you fold in letters. Um, there's plenty of room still to play with to create memorable forms. Yeah. Um, so in terms of those techniques, how did you come across those? Was that merely through studying logos from that generation or have you come across um some kind of resource from that generation where that is uh documented but gone because of the passing of time no it's um each issue i i try to think about what i might do differently and i'd gone so far into the abstract and the partial thought that i needed to bring it back to the pragmatic and you really do get a lot of these sort of logo tips articles online, which um, there's very little to differentiate them. You know, there's the sort of familiar things about scale and proportion and reproduction. And and then there's, of course, there's the, the digital dimension to it now is like, um, can you hold a phone up to it and does it move or whatever? But I was finding that these logo tips articles were very familiar and, it's useful to remind young designers of these, but I was quite interested in whether I could reconfigure the logo tips article and make something new. And I first explored this um, with um, an article with Computer Arts um, April last year. It was a cover feature, 2,000 words, with these techniques um, as a way for people to kind of understand the opportunities for form. Um, so when I came to doing this issue, I thought, well, I'd like to do that, but with the material language of Logo Archive. And instead of placing the inserts in the middle, I threaded them through the booklet. So each insert had a text that sort of talked about these sort of terms. And these are kind of familiar terms, you know, rotation, impossible for forms, tessellation. But what I was quite interested in doing was by kind of formalizing them within a document by giving young designers these terms and exam exemplifying them within the document that it would almost place it firmly in their mind when it came to the projects that they were going to do and really these are just um a few examples that there are there are many sort of recurring techniques um, throughout Logo Archive that I could have done another zine on them. Um, but these seemed like the ones that felt accessible and um, I quite liked um, how you could say something like transition and you would get like four different symbols that were quite significantly different, but their essential technique was the same, a movement from one form to another. Um, and I just felt that was a, a good way of, of helping designers and doing something differently within the terms of the logo tips articles online. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think it's really good that you've included that in the magazines because now I I want to buy that uh, particular issue just for um, that. Maybe you can post it on logo. Yeah, I will do. Um, 
<laughs> but also, I, I mean, I've I've always been fascinated as to where ideas are coming from and mm-hmm. trying to formulate some kind of guide that people can use for generating mm-hmm. ideas. And I've read a lot of books on around logo design, but I, I haven't come across any of these techniques previously. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's fascinating that you've been able to document that and, and provide that with examples. And uh, I think that in its own right makes that particular uh, zine worth uh, purchasing. So I'm definitely interested in that myself. Mm, thank you. Now, we're, we're nearly at an hour now. I know we, we started a little bit earlier, so we probably have done an hour. But I'm going to throw in one last question for you. So if you could travel back in time and offer your younger self just one piece of advice, it could be any time, you know, it could be any any point in your life. What would that advice be? That, that is such a good question. <laughs> I'm a bit of a daydreamer and sometimes I daydream that I travel back with my 36-year-old mind and place it into my 18-year-old body. I think it would be get blogging sooner, um, that I learned so much doing it that I would have been in a better position now if I'd started teaching myself in that way sooner yeah yeah so I'm, I'm glad that you said that because blogging is important um for so many different reasons I, i've had episodes about it in the past on the podcast uh, you know to encourage people to create a blog for search engine optimization purposes but mm-hmm. like you said it's it's a really good way to learn and and process information uh because i've i've mm. learned myself uh last week i i mentioned to you uh, prior to uh, recording that i i went to marty newmeyer's uh level c uh course which was a, a two-day fairly intensive course but the the actual content itself was based on the brand gap and i've read the brand gap fantastic book been on my shelf ever since uh, I, I haven't opened it up again. And uh, it was amazing that during those two days, uh, Marty went through uh, the the content of the book in, in a, uh, a course format, you know, where it was where you had interactive workshops. And it, it was surprising how how much there was in the course that I'd forgotten or not understood and and processed properly because uh, there was there was one particular um way of managing meetings for like these six different hats and I, I remember reading it but I don't think I got it <laughs> and I I think you know from a learning perspective if I was to take the content that I'd been learning from that book and try and understand it and and write it in my own way through a blog I think I would have learned a lot more uh, deeply about a, a specific topic so I think what I need to do myself is write a blog on a lot of stuff that I I learned not only for SEA but also so that I know I understand it so there, there's so many benefits to uh, doing that so I think that's a good piece of advice for your younger self but also to anyone listening that don't currently blog and I think that there's there's so many different ways of doing it as well as it it can be on brand news comment forum um these are good spaces in which to share openly um what you think 
but give it time. You know, don't just sort of hammer out a comment. You know, take some time to to think about it. And um, I always find that other people will respond in kind. You know, if you fire off a one-liner that is negative, you will receive negative sort of responses if you sort of give time to it and write positively about things that that you will receive that kind of thing back and and this is where great conversations come from is is a great passion for something not endless negativity um because you didn't do the work or you don't have the opportunities um get involved yeah and i think as well you never know who's watching. That's pretty true. I, yeah, because uh, I've I've been working on a Facebook group. Well, just moderating it, and um, you, when whenever I give someone feedback, I I it's intended for that person. But it's amazing how many people have told me when I've met them later on. It's like, oh, your feedback on this was really good, and it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, so people, other people in the industry are, are watching and. Um, if you are able to, you know, articulate your thoughts in a careful way on those prominent blogs online, you know, like, um, Armin's brand new, Mm. people see that people notice it and you you never know what, um, opportunity could come up as a result of simply commenting on one post. Absolutely. Cool. Fantastic. Well, Richard, it's been amazing to finally chat with you. Um, it, it's been a really interesting uh, conversation to you know, learn more about Logo Archive and uh, hear some of the, the, the behind the scenes stuff and also to get to know you um, a little bit better. I, I can imagine that listeners will be familiar with your work, but not necessarily with the person behind it. So thanks for coming on and uh, for sharing Uh, some of your story and a little bit behind what you've been working on you're welcome thank you for the invitation it's been a pleasure if you enjoyed this interview let both myself and richard know by tagging us on your preferred social media platform it's always great to know that someone out there has listened to the episode so do make sure to let uh, myself and richard know that you've listened to this and that you've enjoyed it too To learn more about Richard, head to his website, richardbird.co.uk. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where you'll find uh, links to his site, all of his projects, uh, links to his social channels, books and resources that we mentioned in this episode, as well as a full transcription of the interview too. To find the show notes, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 5.10. Now, this is sadly the final episode of season five. So I'll be taking a short break, but I'm already recording interviews for the next season. So I hope to kick off the sixth season within the next few weeks. So do make sure to subscribe. Uh, If you've not already done so, head to boxset.logogeek.uk where you'll be able to download uh, six ebooks on logo design completely free, but I'll also notify you as soon as episodes come out and also subscribe on uh, whatever channel that you listen to podcasts on. But that, that would mean that you'll be the first to know about the episodes and to uh, listen to them too. Uh, so if you like to keep in touch 
with me in the meantime and continue to talk about and learn about logo design join the logo geek community on facebook it's totally free to join um, and to do that just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or of course follow me on twitter at logo underscore geek where i share daily information inspiration and news around logo design so for now until the next season keep designing keep learning and i'll see you in a few weeks for another season of the logo geek podcast <laughs>